Welcome to the Passel CMO Series podcast. We discuss all things marketing and business development. My name is Will Eek, and today we're going to be talking about the art of a law firm rebrand. Um, aligning client perception and the firm's values is really key to success for any legal rebrand. Client listening, brand narrative, and firm culture all play a massive part in crafting a brand that meets everyone's expectations, but also represents the longer term strategic direction of the firm. Um, today, and obviously lots of firms have been through this or are going through it, but today we've got a brilliant guest and I've got the pleasure of speaking to someone who's actually been through this rebrand journey um, and want to share their story, which is great for all of you listeners out there. Um, hello, Nonny Garrett-Wall. She's Head of Marketing at Charles Russell Speechley and welcome to our podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Now on to our main topic, which, as I mentioned at the top of the um, podcast, is the art of a law firm rebrand. Um, I suppose, starting from the beginning, uh, Noni, can you sort of tell us why the rebrand at Charles Russell Speechley's came about and when that sort of process began? Absolutely. So um, I joined the firm, it's just been my five-year anniversary in January of 2019. And I think, you know, the discussions of the rebrand were, were probably happening the moment I arrived in that having gone through um, a merger in 2014, the two firms, um, Charles Russell and Speechley Bircham, um, you know, they were really keen to start having a look at their brand again. And I think, so we looked at that in 2019 and into early 2020, and obviously with COVID happening, it really wasn't the right time. But I think the other reason it wasn't the right time is because we hadn't yet really articulated who we were as a firm and what we wanted to be known for. And that was a journey we really needed to go on. So, you know, in the meantime, we sort of did a bit of a, a visual refresh in, in 2020, just to try and sort of modernise our look and feel a bit. And then flash forward to 2022, I think by this time, our leadership team had had a lot of discussions. We'd undertaken a client listening project. We'd done a lot of work to bring to life our firm strategy. And that gave us such a clear idea of, of who we are as a firm, how we want to stand out, what we want to be known for. And that really gave us the foundations we needed to start looking at our brand and initially we sort of kicked off with um, a creative agency just to focus on the brand narrative um, before eventually choosing to do sort of the full rebrand alongside that, that narrative shift. Congratulations on the five years. I think um, we'll probably touch upon it as well, that the, the whole merger thing, obviously quite uh, prevalent in the news at the moment and ongoing in the professional service law space. Um, you know, why should you be, no, you know, it's difficult as soon as you merge, why should you know what you stand for, right? So again, and we'll come on to that sort of maturity of a merger. Um, it's quite an interesting um, topic. Was the, was the timing of the rebrand um, important and, and, and how integral was that a su success for the project that, that took place? Yeah, well, I think, as I said, you know, 2024 marks 10 years post the merger for us. So it is a really interesting time for us as a firm. But I think when the two firms did merge in 2014, the brand they created, it served a purpose for that moment in time. As you said, it was two firms put together, but it always felt like it was sort of a, a short-term solution. So I think in 2021, um, our managing partner, Simon Ridpath, started his first term. And along with that, we also did this massive client listening project. And I think those two things combined, you know, those really bold ambitions, that client listening, that really helped shape our strategy. And, and I think 
one of the challenges we had faced was that historically we'd been known as a private client firm. However, post that merger, we obviously brought in, you know, much more corporate transactional teams to our offering. So we really wanted to be seen as a full service law firm. And it was important to have a brand that reflected that. And so I think getting the timings right for kicking off the project was definitely a key factor. We had to make sure that we had all our ducks in a row. We'd done that client listening. We'd really shaped our firm strategy. So I think that was really important to sort of kick the project off. But I guess the success of the project isn't just about the timings, more so than anything. It is about the people involved, the amazing team who work on it, but also the stakeholders bringing everyone along on that journey. And that was, you know, very instrumental to the success of the project. I'm sure it came came with its challenges as well as managing that many that many stakeholders. You mentioned the, the client listening piece and you know moving from um private client to becoming a full service law firm or, or letting everyone know that that's what you were. They they sound like they're the sort of starting points of the rebrand. Were, were there any other essential messages um that you sort of needed to include in the new brand narrative and, and the positioning of the of the new firm? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, to start off, even just getting the right agency on board was was really paramount. And, you know, we've been really thankful to Huddle Creative because they we wanted an agency that was going to be, um, you know, bold, that they were going to push us to be different. But obviously, as you say, we had some messages that they had to take on board. And there were, there were kind of three key things. One, I guess, was our new focus on being an integrated international firm. So really focusing on the fact that we were international, you know, we've had a lot of international growth. We've recently opened an office in Singapore. I think that was incredibly important to sort of bring to life in our narrative. The second one, and probably the most challenging one was, as you said, because we were known for, for private client and we brought in the transactional side, we needed sort of an anchor to articulate that in the market. And for us, that was, our focus on private capital. And this can be a bit challenging, you know, private capital can be defined in different ways. You know, for us, it it really is at its most basic sense, really just describing investments and funding, whether by wealthy individuals, their families, family offices, into assets and other business ventures. So it's really just that alternative to funds raised by uh, the public markets but you know this really gave us this fantastic anchor to use to bring together that private client and and transactional side of the firms but you know we also had to make sure that different areas of the firm could talk about private capital in different ways and ensure that they were confident in that message and then the third sort of point was or message was really around emotional intelligence you know from I think the moment Simon Ridpath our managing partner you know took on that role. I think that was one of the key things he always felt like was our differentiator. Our lawyers were very emotionally intelligent. And that also came through so strongly in our client listening, you know, that our clients are really looking for advisors who will listen to them and then collaborate internally to bring them those best fit solutions. So it wasn't an easy task, you know, having to look at international private capital and that emotional intelligence and sort of find that way to to differentiate our narrative in the market. And as people listening, obviously, I know a lot of people are involved in the O-shaped movement, which is all about the emotional intelligence part. I imagine the the private client part of the business actually probably served that transition quite well because, you know, you're very the lawyers are very close then to individuals often in that in that realm. So they do get to 
to build that emotional intelligence part out. It's, it's really interesting that you say that. Um, the, the next question I'm going to ask you, which is what a lot of, pe lots of people want to know or probably have experienced, but it, it could be quite interesting. What, what would you say were the main challenges or roadblocks along that journey? I mean, you're always, there's always going to be plenty of challenges, I think, in, in a rebrand project. It's such a massive undertaking. I guess one of the big ones for us was our name and, you know, conversations about having a name change. You know, we do have that challenge. Charles Russell Speechless can be a mouthful. And if you abbreviate it, there are a lot of firms that sound quite similar. So we do have to be, you know, we had to be respectful of our peers, but we still obviously wanted to be unique. So I think you know, a challenge was really talking to our stakeholders, our fairness, and really making sure they understood that there's nothing wrong with our name. It's okay to lean into it, to be confident with our name. And to the right audience, I think our name is is really distinct. And we've even seen that, you know, come through in, in some of the data we're receiving from some recent brand advertising we've done that at the brand recall of our name is actually quite high, not just in the UK, but internationally as well. So it was a bit of a hurdle to overcome this perception that we would need to change our name. So it was quite a big one for sure. Um, and I guess the other one would be, you know, our, our new brand narrative, whilst it does bring in international private capital, the softer side of it, the personal relationships, the, our tagline, knowing what matters, you know, making sure our lawyers are really comfortable with, with that language um, and phrases that, you know, really make you think, really make make us stand out a bit more but I think this is where we were really able to kind of link it into our values which are authentic committed forward thinking collaborative you know we want to make sure that they have an authentic way to use that narrative that language and really tailor the way they talk about the firm depending on the different client types that they're talking to but again that's something that's not happening overnight there's still so much even though the rebrand has happened there's still so much work to really make sure there's that comfort level for all of our lawyers and being able to articulate our narrative and do it in a way that feels authentic um, and and personal in the way that they're coming across to their clients. There's too many acronyms, you're right, in professional services anyway. So yeah, Charles Russell Speechley's far better, rolls off the tongue. Um, how did you, this is a key bit really, how, how did you get the buy-in from the partnership? Um, I imagine there's lots, there lots of feedback, you know, how did you manage that process um, during the, the brand refresh and relaunch and, and where, um, you know, did you find that the key factors were that contributed to that success? Yeah, I mean, I think it, it's always going to be a top-down approach in this kind of project, you know, starting off with our managing partner, our senior partner and our CEO, you know, they were definitely the key to, to making sure that the feedback processes worked in the right ways and then it was about bringing the partners on board and then the rest of the firm. So I think, you know, the first stage was really around working on our brand narrative but having an output for our partners conference because we knew getting them on board in the right way would be so important. So in order to set that up, we had a core group of stakeholders who were sort of involved from the get-go. They did, you know, all of the interviews up front. They were the ones feeding back. Um, and I think at that early stage where we were building that narrative, there was a lot more face-to-face -face involvement and time invested. So, you know, presentations to those stakeholders as a group, one-on-ones with them to make sure they felt like they were feeding back in the right ways. But we did, you know, keep it to a core group. I think that is one of the challenges of a rebrand. If you have every single partner or fiend or in the firm involved, it can be really challenging. So I think it was about focusing on 
the feedback that was coming through. If you heard something more than once, yes, that's when you really need to sit up and listen to what that feedback is. Um, but it was also just making sure that those that were involved felt like they were playing a part and they were really being listened to. And then I think once we sort of moved from the narrative to the more visual side of the brand, that was much more focused on our managing partner, our senior partner, our COO. And at this stage, we also brought in what we call a project owner, which was one of our divisional managing partners, David Collins, um, to become quite a champion for the project as well. And I think they sort of ultimately had the sign off on the visual side. We still worked with that core group of stakeholders. We got their feedback. You know, we made sure we were listening. But, you know, when it came to things like the logo, you know, that ultimate sign off did sit with the senior leadership. And I think the success really came from what I would say was confident. So it was never faltering and never doubting what we were putting in front of people. So, you know, our, our brand strategist from Huddle Creative was amazing with the way he presented work. He never lets you feel any doubt in what he was giving you. And so I was always trying to mimic that myself when I had one-on-ones, when I talked to others, never doubting what we were putting, you know, in front of the stakeholders. Um, but I think the other success point is really having the right, you know, champions to not only challenge you, but to back you 100%. And I think, you know, having a project owner like David Collins was amazing because on one hand, he would say to me, do we really think this is bold enough? And then on the other hand, he was, you know, always going in to bat when difficult decisions were being made about moving forward. Um, but, you know, I think the absolute biggest success factor is having an incredibly hardworking and amazing team behind the scenes to actually bring this all to life, to deliver this to the firm, you know, that um, cannot be understated. And it sounds like you, you know, that brilliant team combined with the, um, the, the right stakeholders, you know, really owned the project. We, we hear where it can fall down is that you, to your point, you, you, you know, you let everyone have a, have a pick um, and, and and you never actually get anywhere because everyone wants it their way. So actually, if you own that, keep keep ownership and trust of where you're going. Sounds like, you know, it works really, really well. So you've got your brand, you've done that. How, I know you've talked about the core group, but how did you then go about launching that brand successfully internally? I mean, did you have an activation plan that that, you know, you rolled out and helped embed that across the firm? Yeah, absolutely. And this was, you know, an incredibly big piece of work. And I think it, it can't be underestimated how important that internal activation plan is, you know, to really make sure everybody's on board. Um, so we kind of had a few different phases. I think we, you know, the first was always, you know, making sure the partners were on board. So there were lots of different presentations at partner meetings and things like that. And then for the rest of the firm, we wanted to sort of generate a bit of buzz. So we kicked things off with a teaser video. Um, that showcase the new messaging, the new brand. It had different voices from around the firm. So it really sort of started to build that momentum. And I then followed that up by doing a roadshow. So I went around to every single team meeting around the firm, not only fianas but business services as well and you know the biggest success there was really tailoring what I presented to the different teams thinking about how the rebrand you know presenting them the new brand what it looks like what it means all of those things but really thinking about how the rebrand affects them and making sure that 
I'm covering that off, um, that they can ask questions. And we also had this really fantastic advisory group with different team members from across the firm. So they were also really paramount in sort of feeding into this plan and also helping in terms of tailoring what those roadshows looked like for the different teams. So once that sort of happened, we then moved into more the email communication side of things. But again, we tried to have um, a balance of, yes, firm-wide emails, obviously, but also more tailored emails as well and, you know, more authentic ones that would come from our divisional managing partners that would talk about how messaging can be tailored to a different division, um, but then also obviously just your more standard firm-wide emails going out to make sure everybody knew what was happening when and everything sort of linked back to a page on the intranet to make sure that it was a one-stop shop, any tools that they needed, we made it really clear what was available, what was coming soon, just to make things sort of really clear and simple. I think the key with any activation plan like this is you need it, you need that repetition. It's super important, but, you know, you can't always just be tell, tell, tell. You have to have that face-to-face -face engagement um, and, and that opportunity for people to ask questions and feel like you're taking them on the journey. Um, and it certainly did prove to be definitely very successful. That was fascinating stuff. It sounds like um, no stone unturned as well with with everything that you guys did. Um, so congratulations. I mean, we're we're nearly at amazingly at the end of the of the podcast, but some really brilliant insights and takeaways. I'm sure for um, your your peers, Noni, um, that are either about to take this on and don't know where to start, or are nodding their heads because they've also also been through something like this, but maybe not done. The things that you've done so successfully with the team i'm going to start with a nice quick fire round just to get the tongues wagging um what's your favorite book noni so my favorite book is the bronze horseman by paulina simons there we go haven't read that one so i'll make a note of that um what was your first job uh, so when I was a teenager, um, a, a friend of mine, her mother, before it was quite in vogue as it is now, um, she made brilliant cupcakes. So I used to get up at the crack of dawn on the weekends and go and sell these cupcakes at markets all over the place on the weekends. That's a lot nicer than some of the jobs I've done and heard of. Um, if you could travel back in time, what period would you go to? I always find this one hard because there are so many, but I think I would probably say the 1960s just for the music. Yeah, good call. Beatlemania. Um, where's your favourite place to visit and why? So I've literally just come back from here and it was my sixth time. Um, it would be Florence in Italy. Um, it, I just can never describe it, but the, the vibes there, the food, it's just such a, a, a beautiful, happy place, just full of light. And good weather when you go a certain time of year, I'm sure. Very um, true. What's the best piece of advice that anyone has ever given you? I think that would probably be, and I, I think I've had this in a few different ways over the year, but I think it would be never lose sight of who you are. Lovely. Brilliant. Some great um, answers to those questions. Um, I'm going to try and nail you down on the last question. What would your one piece of advice be for any any of your peers, any legal mark marketing folk, if they're about to embark on a rebrand, what would you, what advice would you give them? Particularly those, you know, and it is about to happen, as we know, in the market, um, that are about to go through a merger. I would say focus on what's important. I think it's projects like this are incredibly challenging 
when there are so many moving parts, there are so many opinions, there are so many different things happening, get the right senior stakeholders to stand behind you and that will allow you to focus on what's important and make sure that you can, you know, deliver a project like this, find a brand that is authentic to your firm. Um, I think that's the key for me. Amazing stuff. Noni, you've been amazing. Thank you so much for sharing your insights. Um, you've been great to speak to. Take care. Thank you so much for having me.